from the center of the universe and the home of your Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. It's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos bi-week podcast brought to you by Something in the Water Brewing. Ben Grant joined today by Mike Hogan, who is substituting for JB, still on vacation. Mike, first of all, before we get into anything else, thanks so much for, for joining me today. I really appreciate you being on the show. I, I need one of those JB jobs where you can just take the whole summer off and just go gallivanting around North America. That's a good gig. It is not a bad gig. So, you know, he's enjoying himself. And uh, I, I believe I, I've, I've been misled before, but I believe he'll be back next week. So uh, looking forward to that. But in the meantime, I'm sure he won't be. I'll be ready for the call. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, stand by for sure. So we've got a huge lineup for today. We've got uh, a lot of stuff to talk about, including the stretch that the Argos are about to go on. We're going to talk about the Argos being back on top of the power rankings again. Uh, there's some PFF scores to go through. Three Down Nation did their midseason awards, and the Argos were really well represented. We'll go through that. Uh, I also want to talk about what players do on a bye week. It's one of the questions that I've received a couple times. Uh, there's news about Shaq Richardson signing in Calgary, which a number of you have, have also reached out about. Uh, we want to talk about Enoch Muamba. We're going to talk about the quarterback position. Plus, we've got the usual weekly segments, Put Me Down for 20, and CFL Picks. All that and more coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. This episode of the X's and Argos podcast, as all the episodes are this year, are brought to you by Something in the Water Brewing. It's a brewery located in Liberty Village. It's the perfect location for Argos fans. You're just steps away from Lamport Stadium, where the Argos practice. You are also steps away from BMO Field, where the Argos play their games. It's a great place to go to pre-game. And of course, the next game coming up against Calgary, uh, a Friday, that would be a great time to uh, leave work, head down to Liberty Village, visit something in the water, and you can get Longboat Pale Ale, a beer that is made specifically for fans of the Double Blue. So make sure you check that out when you get a chance. Terrific beer, and they've been an amazing sponsor to us this season. So, Hoagie, here we are uh, heading into the game uh, against Calgary, but this is the, the third bye. Before we get into the bye stuff and, and the next run, uh, what do fans need to do to join you and I at BMO Field uh, against Calgary in a week's time? Oh, thank you for asking. Um, uh, the, the, the best thing you do is buy tickets. Um, this, this game is the best value that we have all year, right? Because it's the CNE game. You buy an Argo ticket for the regular price. And you get free admission to the CNE, which is let's say you got a family of four. It's twenty-five bucks for an adult. It's twenty bucks for a kid, or twenty bucks for a senior. So that adds up in a hurry. Um, so if, if you were planning on going to the CNE anyway, uh, it's not a bad time to double up and a great time to expose new fans to Argo football. Um, there are a lot of folks, maybe even listening right now, who aren't the diehards and maybe get the one game a year or haven't been down in years. It's an opportunity to kind of say, okay, let's go check out the Argo game because I was going to go down to the CNE anyway. So if it's 25 bucks to get in and you buy a $40 ticket, it's 15 bucks to go and watch an Argo game from a pretty good seat. So, you know, and I know a lot of people are hit hard by inflation and uh, it's never a bad time to get a deal. So not only that, but you can see a, a game that the Argos, I'm, I'm sure, are keen to win after what happened in Calgary a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, for sure. And and like you say, it's it's amaz an amazing deal. And we talked about on the broadcast last week, we talked about the food building. Uh, there was an article in the Star yesterday highlighting some of those treats. Hoagie, are you going to be joining me for some pickled cotton candy? Ew, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm not cotton candy guy at the best of times. I, I have a sweet tooth, guilty, but cotton candy a little bit much. But why would you do that with pickle flavor? Like I, just, I know there's some bizarre stuff, and, and you know, for those who want to indulge, feel free. That's it's part of the fun of the X is is going to the food building and trying something you haven't even thought of in a nightmare, and you go, okay, I'll try it. What the hell? You only live once. I, I may give that one a go. We'll see. So you're this, serious? That's a thing. It's a thing. Yeah, pickled cotton candy. It's a thing. There's some there's some strange ones. That one jumped out to me. You can I think there's ten of them that they highlighted in a, a Star article that I saw this morning. Do me a favor, whatever you have, do it after the game. I don't need to be looking for a color commentator midway through the third quarter. All right, that sounds good. So this Calgary game starts off a tough stretch for the Argos. So this Having an early buy like this 
is is tough. Uh, and, and we knew this like as soon as the schedule came out. I remember JB and I going through the schedule back in December when it came out. And we're looking through. We're like, oh, man, first week by again for the second year in a row. And that's really what you're checking out. Like who, who you play, which weeks, that matters less to me. Bi-week scheduling to me is is really important. And and this, I have to think, is a disadvantage because they're going into a 10-game stretch coming out of this bye. And the first the first six of these games are tough. You, you start off against Calgary, and we know what Toronto looked like against Calgary last time. It, it wasn't it wasn't a great game for them. Um, I have to think they'll be looking to avenge that that loss, their only loss of the season. And then you've got Hamilton, Montreal, Montreal, Hamilton, Winnipeg. And those those two games against Montreal, two games against Hamilton, are going to go a long way to deciding the East. If the Argos can go through that Hamilton, Montreal, Montreal, Hamilton stretch and go like three and one or even four and oh, that's basically it. I think the East is is done at that stage. That's their opportunity to earn themselves a late season buy or at least earn themselves a late season uh, rest where they can start rotating guys in and and get guys healthy. Because we know at that at that point in the season, uh, your your body needs hit. Like this is for for anyone who who hasn't played before, and, and certainly uh, at, at this level, every week is is like getting into a, an automobile accident. And so, uh, as you go down the the final stretch of the season, the, the more rest you can have, the better position it puts them in. And and obviously, sealing the top spot and having the first week playoff buy is huge. But if Coach Dinwiddie can rest guys those last two weeks of the season as well, rotate them through to keep them fresh, that would be a, a massive advantage. So that's just something to, to think about as we go through this next stretch, like how important that is because of the lack of buy. Well, the, uh, the other thing that, that that really becomes imperative and not looking past the Calgary game at all because you can't, and if you lose that one, it, it kind of sets back what you're doing down the stretch. Um, the tiebreaker comes into play. And right now, They've got the tiebreaker on Hamilton. They need a win. They've got the tiebreaker on Montreal. They need a win. And they also have the tiebreaker on Ottawa. They need a win to clinch the tiebreaker. So that kind of sets up when you're looking at, you know, uh, the magic number in terms of points. That eliminates the odd number uh, where you could use that tie to break a tiebreaker. So uh, it's almost like a three-point game, a four-point game, almost like a five-point game. When you, when you look at it that way, because it does eliminate that tiebreaker. So uh, the game the games against Hamilton and Montreal are huge, as is the game against Calgary. Yeah, and that's one of the things I love about football. There being so few games, the magnitude of each is such a big deal. You know, like the Jays go on a three or four game losing streak. You're like, ah, it'll be okay. In the CFL, in the NFL, whatever football league, that, that's death. Uh, you have to you have to string together wins. And so, yeah, this stretch is going to be massive for the Argos, even with the this, this start they've had. And that's why I totally disavow the theory of a trap game in football. I just, I just don't think that exists because you're looking one game at a time. I know it's a cliche. And before I worked for the organization, uh, to a degree, I kind of agreed that teams would be looking two or three games ahead. I can tell you with certainty they don't. Um, they're looking at Calgary, period, full stop. All they're doing is looking at film of Calgary. Um, the coaches may want to get a little bit of he- ahead, and a bye week like this is not necessarily a bye week for everybody. I, I guarantee you coaches are going through some film after the family goes to bed. Uh, they're up, they're, they're preparing a little bit more for Hamilton and Montreal and even more so after the games this weekend. Um, but yeah, for the players, they're looking at Calgary because that's all they're doing is they're looking at film of Calgary. Let's get into some of the PFF scores this week. The Argos, as you would expect for a 7-1 team, have done very well on PFF. No surprise that Devaris Daniels was the top scorer of the week. He posted a, a huge number overnight. Anytime you're over 90, that's that's massive by PFF scoring. Um, not surprising, Hoagie, because of his his three touchdown, 180-yard performance. I think we would have been very skeptical of PFF had he finished anything but first overall. Uh, but what a game from Devaris. Yeah, no question. And it was like we've been waiting for that game from him. Maybe not to that extent, but, you know, that two-touchdown, 125-yard game is something that we've been waiting for. Likewise, Curly Gittins Jr. So we can we can kind of check that one off for Didi, and now let's go get it for Curly. But you know he was in a great mood in the room after the game, obviously, and uh, also a good game for him because he surpassed a career mark with 5,000 career yards. Um, he did that, I think, on the third long catch. 
So yeah, it's it's great. He, he needed that one, I think. Um, we've seen flashes, but we haven't seen that game from Tavares. And you know, likewise with Curley, um, everybody seems now to have had the big game in terms of being a wide receiver. Brissett, Ungerer, like Phillips, they've all done it. Now it now it's up for KG two to get up in there as well. And if you want to uh, read a little bit more about how Devaris Daniels put together that three-touchdown game, I went through it on an article on Three Down Nation that you can find and read through each of those three plays and what he did specifically to get himself open against that Red Blacks defense. Other PFF scores, Chad Kelly was the top quarterback of the week. That should come as no surprise. Uh, he had that he had the, the one interception. It's just the one negative play. I couldn't find another negative play for him in the entire game he had four great touchdown passes uh just looked like a leader out there and we were heading into the week not 100 percent sure what we were going to get from chad kelly and for him to come out and have a performance like that uh the pff score says it uh it was it was one it, that might have been his best game of the entire season yeah he was dynamite and you know it was not only the the receivers getting wide open it was him seeing the receiver and getting them the ball um, some, you know, how many times have you been to a game where you can kind of see the whole field and you'll see a receiver wide open and you're up in the stands going, why didn't he see him? Uh, it's a big field for one thing. And, you know, they were on the same page, which was which was fantastic. And I, I was very happy that Kelly statistically was rewarded with that little shovel pass to A.J. Olette as a touchdown pass. Because how many times have we seen Kelly hit a receiver and they're brought down inside the five-yard line, and then they finish it up with a running touchdown when it was a 45- or 50-yard pass that put them in the position for the score. So, you know, we had one of those in uh, Halifax in the Saskatchewan game to Brissett where it was a one-yard touchdown pass, and I was I was happy um, that they were able to kind of get his stats up a little bit in terms of touchdowns because if it comes down to it, you know, at the end of the season, and he's still in contention for the MOP, I'm sure a lot of voters will look at touchdown passes, not realizing that, you know, a lot of passes put them in the position to score a rushing touchdown. So for Chad, I was happy he got that little uh, that little gimme to, to Ola, and a very smart play to get it to him. Yeah, well, he he drew the defender in. I love that play so much. Uh, he was sort of, uh, he saw Olette fairly early. His receivers were blanketed downfield. He saw Olette leaking out. He drifted to his right to create separation between he and Olette. And so he draws the defender to him and then just dumps it over his head. And Olette's got no one near him for the touchdown. But that's why I like that's why I like things like PFF scores. And I don't always agree with PFF. We're we're often at odds, but the in theory, it's it's better than looking at things like stats, because like you say, the stats can be very misleading. If you've got receivers that go down or out of bounds at the the one or two yard line, that's almost always going to end up in in a touchdown for somebody else on the ground. And so, yeah, scores like this, I think, uh, help to even that out a little bit. And the um, problem is you don't, for PFF, and this is no disrespect to PFF, I mean, it's a valuable service, but you do have to kind of take it in stride um, where you could have a defensive player make a play even though he was in the wrong place. You know what I mean? Like, it, yes. that, wasn't, that wasn't his assignment. He blew the assignment but made the play anyway. Same as an offensive lineman. He may not do something that he was supposed to do but was able to make a block. So to somebody who doesn't know the scheme, uh, they may say, oh, he made his block on that. Likewise, the receiver may run the wrong route but make the catch. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of little things that they don't know. So um, PFF score is going to be different than a team's grade. But it's I agree. It's, it's great to have something and just anything you can add to the conversation to get people talking, I think is valuable for the CFL. Yeah, and it's the best we can do because we don't have access, you know, inside the locker room and and knowing what the assignments are and and uh, what the play calls exactly were. So we are guessing at the best of times when when I'm doing analysis, whether it's it's on TSN radio with you during the call or whether it's an article the following week. I don't really know. I don't know exactly what the coverage was supposed to be. I think I do. I have a sense of what I see, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's right 100% of the time. So same with PFF. It's it's an educated guess, but you're right. They're, you have to sometimes take it with a, a grain of salt because uh, they're not in the huddle, uh, just of, like just like we're not. One of my favorite memories of somebody doing the games, uh, one of your predecessors, Jeff Johnson, was one year out of football. So he had played with the Argos the previous year. 
and I'm the guy that will never blame a receiver or a quarterback for an interception or an incomplete pass because I don't know the route. I don't know the read. I don't know who made the mistake, if anybody made the mistake. And during one play, uh, I said, I don't know who to blame on that, the receiver, the quarterback. And JJ said, I know the play. I know the playbook. That was on the receiver. (laughs) (laughs) So that's one instance where JJ had one up on you because he actually knew what the, what the, what the read was. Yeah. That's a huge advantage to be. Yeah. You can only hang on to it for about a year or so though, because then things start to change and, and develop and coaches change and everything else. But yeah, that's, that's massive to be able to bring that to the booth. I think that's, that's fun. Uh, other good PFF scores for the week. Uh, the oh, Dijon Allen uh, was uh, top lineman, uh, which is is awesome to see him back there again. He's had an amazing season. He's sort of to me like Allen is a little bit like the Dwayne Hendricks of the offense, where two guys that I think are at the top of the league in their position, or at least one two and yet don't get talked about a lot. And so for Allen, uh, I, I grade offensive linemen every week, and he's my top-graded offensive lineman. Again, I'm doing it without knowing exactly what everyone's assignments are, but I think he's been the best for, for Toronto in what has been a very good offensive line this year. And so I was happy to see him get uh, that acknowledgement this week once again. Uh, and they graded as the top O-line of the week as a whole, which is is a, a huge compliment to the returning Isaiah Cage and getting Darius Sirocco back and, and Peter Nicastro back over to that guard spot. It just looked like such a solid unit. Not only did they not give up a sack uh, last week, the pressures they did give up were often Kelly deciding to take that on. He was actually inviting pressure, like I said in that previous play, to to open up A.J. Olette or to buy time for his receiver downfield. He didn't need to take a hit, but he chose to in order to give his receiver an advantage. So not hits that you necessarily put on the offensive line. So they, they looked amazing last week. Let's talk about Allen a little bit, or allow me to, because Please. he's a guy who has gotten lost, as you say, really underappreciated. He was a four-year starter at the University of Hawaii. Gave up one sack in four years. Moved around the offensive line and two times at the University of Hawaii was named their outstanding offensive player. Not the quarterback, not the running back, not a receiver. An offensive lineman two years in a row. Totally unheard of. He went to the NFL. They moved him inside. He's undersized for the NFL. He's 6'2", 300 pounds. So we're lucky to have him up here for one thing. And... Let's not forget, when he came into the CFL, he started at left tackle. And then last year, moved back to right tackle. And then last game, after Isaiah Cage was kind of out of his brain a little bit after the after the penalty, they moved him back to left tackle and then moved him back to right tackle for the rest of the game, which doesn't, okay, he's just doing that. Think about dancing backwards. That's what he's doing because your, your footsteps completely change. Your footwork is completely different. Um, I asked him about that last year before he moved over to the right side, and we knew that's where he was going. And he said, ever since I started in this, I practiced my footwork from both sides. So left or right doesn't matter to me. It sounds like it's an easy thing to do. It's not. And for him to be an all-star last year, he's playing at an all-star level this year. Um, he's just that guy that, that, that doesn't get enough respect around the league probably because he hasn't been a five or six time all-star and with offensive linemen, sometimes that's what it takes. Yeah. And I'm hoping he gets that acknowledgement this year because he, he has been so solid, like he and Hendricks both. And I don't know what it is about both those guys, whether maybe they would draw more attention if they were six foot eight or something like that. And people around the league would notice more. Uh, he's, as you said, he's, he's undersized even as by us, by CFL standards for height, for a tackle. But um, yeah, for some reason he just seems not to get, notice the same way uh, because like Ryan Hunter for example does get that attention he does get noticed and Hunter's great not to take anything away from him but I have Allen graded ahead of Hunter and no one seems to be talking about him so yeah it's just one of those weird things where for whatever reason um, the the rest of the league seems not to notice but um, yeah he shows up every single week regardless Nobody looks at offensive linemen. Nobody looks at defensive tackles. Because you know, it, if, if you're watching the line play at all, you're probably watching defensive ends, and they usually end up with the with the, the greater pass rush numbers uh, and sack numbers. But Hendricks on the inside against the run end, you know, collapsing pockets and 
flushing guys out toward a Rimalade or, or Costigan or Robbie Smith or whoever's in there at the time. Uh, it's huge. He's, he's so good and so undervalued. I'm glad you're talking about him. And Jordan Williams, also honored as the run defender of the week. Uh, nice to see him back in there, too, because he he hadn't been at 100%. He'd been out for a couple of games to have him back there uh, playing. And, and I don't necessarily think of Jordan Williams as being a, a run defender first. I, I like him a lot in, in coverage for a linebacker. And so for him to get in there into that middle spot and shut down the Ottawa run, I thought was pretty big. And so nice for him to to get that feather in his cap, too, as run defender of the week. Yeah, he's great, and it gives him so much flexibility, especially when everybody's healthy, um, where you can move him. He can play the middle linebacker spot. He can play the weak side spot, um, inside, outside. doesn't matter. He's he's that guy. He can drop into coverage. He's great against the run. Uh, he's really good at uh, firing and disguising his blitz. You don't know he's coming until the last second. So, um, yeah, he's he's been such a valuable part of this, and – the more he plays, obviously he's been out of the lineup a little bit, but the more he plays, the more he's going to fit in and, you know, get the Mace system through reps as opposed to just watching film. Yeah, no, exactly. And he, I think, like you say, the the more he, he plays, the better it will get. You see that with Robertson Daniel and Adarius Pickett playing off each other so beautifully where they, they're they so good at disguising each other's blitzes. So it's not just themselves. It's not just disguising when they're coming. It's actually creating a diversion knowing that someone else from the other side is is coming in. You see those guys all the time where where Daniel's coming, but he doesn't move at all. Pickett, meanwhile, has got the quarterback's attention over here. The way It's like the way the Raptors hunt in Jurassic Park, where one is, is distracting you while the other one's actually the one who makes the kill. It's sort of that uh, that same thing they've got going on. And when Williams gets a little bit more acclimated to this too, um, those couple games out probably hurt a little bit, but uh, it's just going to make it even more difficult for, for quarterbacks to figure out what's going on, as if it isn't difficult enough already. I try to identify on the broadcast, at least give people an idea of what's going on. And it's either four on the front, front lot, five on the front. Five. They've got a six-man front, and then all of a sudden three will, you know, rush, and then somebody will come from 20 yards back. I mean, it's uh, it, it, I love the way that Mace is disguising things, and you're right. Uh, the more the guys play together, um, and Daniel and, and, and Pickett are going to get even better as the season goes along. It's, uh, it's, it's a nice luxury to have, but not only are these guys really talented physically, um, they're all pretty smart football players because uh, there, don't see, there, there have been very few blown coverages this year by the Argos. And that's something that, and this will maybe, maybe we'll tie that into our, our next segment because I want to talk about Dinwiddie and the players that he's brought in to his system. So I'll save that to this, to this next segment here. Let's get into the Three Down Nation uh, Mid-Season Awards. Uh, mid-Season Awards, they don't necessarily mean anything. There's no physical award that's that's given mid-season like this, but it's a good indication of where a team's at. And the Argos definitely, after starting 7-1, uh, are very much deserving of a number of mid-season awards. And it was nice to see them, uh, them selected by uh, the Three Down Nation staff. And so uh, a few awards that they won, Chad Kelly with the Most Outstanding uh, Player which I think it was it was always going to be between he and Zach Caleros and uh, Kelly to me just has had a slightly better start than Caleros he's got he's got more wins for one uh, but it's also the rushing ability that stands out for me so not just the touchdowns and the touchdown to interception ratio love that but the added uh, ability for Kelly on the ground to me makes it a, an easy pick for for Chad Kelly as the most outstanding player. He's he, he, we watch an Argos game and he's the guy you focus on. And uh, for for him to be able to in his first season as a starter put up this kind of first half, uh, we just uh, yeah can't wait to see what he produces in the second half. But yeah, I assume he would he would probably also be your pick for most outstanding player, getting to see him up close as you do. The, 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 there are two numbers, and this, these haven't been updated since last week, but they'll be even better after the Ottawa game. Here are two numbers that I still find are bizarre. Um, the Argos are scoring basically a touchdown once every four times they get the ball. That's crazy. Uh, it's It was 24.4% going into the last game. Um, you know, they scored, uh, they scored, what, four offensive touchdowns last week, so that's that's going to be even better. And the other one that's eye-popping, because historically, this has not been a great number for them. 
in the red zone, there's 76.2% of converting trips into the red zone into touchdowns. Uh, they did that last week on one of the Daniels catches. They did it on the Dukes touchdown, and they did it on the Olette touchdown. So they scored three times in the red zone last uh, last week at least. So that's just top of head. I wish I had written that down, but I think those were the three. Um, so it's going to go up. It's going to be up around 80% of trips into the red zone becoming touchdowns. That's crazy. Um, so, yeah, those those are a couple of the numbers that don't get talked about enough, but that's 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 Kelly and company, and it's not just Chad, and it's not just the receivers, and it's not just Olette, and it's not just the O-line. Uh, that is absolutely a team statistic, but the guy that's running the controls has been the guy that's kind of got them there. And um, everything that everybody expected, and I, I think – to a person inside the Argos organization, we expected Chad to be really good this year without question, but I think he's surpassed everybody's expectations in, in, in several aspects. And, and those two stats are just mind numbing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah, I think, I, I think it was five offensive touchdowns last week. Uh, and so, because I think it was the, the four passing touchdowns and then the Dukes yes. sneak as well. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, their their conversion rate is is absurd. Um, but yeah, so many numbers like that. You can't expect those to to hold over the course of the season. But we said that back in week three <laughs> that you know these numbers won't 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 hold up. And yet here we are now going to week eleven, and those numbers are still uh, pretty gaudy. So and they, they increase their points per game. I know. <laughs> like they're they're think about this. They've had three games at BMO Field. They've averaged forty points a game at home. And almost 40 points a game overall. It's 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 insane what they're doing. And again, if you want to come out and watch the show, Argonauts.ca for tickets. How was that? Was that good? Yeah. No. Well, it, it, it's it, but it's it, it's actually happening too. Like we, I see it firsthand. Um, I, a friend of mine came out to the game uh, last week. First time that he had been to an Argos game. Brought his two kids as well. First time they had been to an Argos game. We weren't really that exposed to football either. Uh, they're begging him to go back to the game against Calgary because they had such a good time just as a family to to be able to. And it was a spur of the moment thing. They were actually going for a bike ride. I happened to be near BMO Field. Knew the Argos were playing that night. And we're like, you know what? Let's let's lock up our bikes and see if we can go get tickets. And and yeah, they had a blast. And now they're looking at coming back again. And they've already started talking about well, what is what does season tickets cost for next? year everything else nice. so yeah it's 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 not hard to see why that happens when you see a game like that uh guys on the fan the next morning talking about it being one of the best sporting experiences that that there had that, that they had been to and this is um this is something that everyone's saying it was it was the probably the most entertaining game of the cfl season uh last time out so um hoping here, here, we can just, have more of the same i ran some numbers this week and this is just the public figure so anybody could have done this as long as they had a pen and a calculator. Um, in 2022, our total attendance through three games at BMO was 32,581. This year, 41,236. It's an increase of 8,655 or 26.6%. Obviously, the same percentage increase, but we've gone from 10,800 a game to 13,700 a game. That's big. That's 2,800 people a game, almost 2,900 people a game. The fourth game last year of the season was 11,623, and that was a Saturday against Hamilton. And I think that we've was also gone, Lady Gaga I, I won't, I won't, and Drake playing. Yes, <laughs> but I won't, I won't let the cat out of the bag, but we were way past 11,000 for the next game. So, and that's with a week and a half to go. So, yeah, we're, we're going to have a big crowd, uh, bigger than normal, coming up against Calgary. The CNE game obviously has a lot to do with it. But it's also, like you say, people are experiencing what we're doing on the field and in the stands and all of the bells and whistles that go with a night out at an Argonaut game and going, why the hell haven't I been doing this longer? And people are coming back. Uh, the crowd is a lot younger, too. Uh, not only at the games, but on television. So uh, a lot of work has gone on into trying to cultivate that younger crowd. And we're seeing it now at the, at the gate. And the number of youth football groups that are coming through into our games is phenomenal. I spoke to two of them before the last home game. And they were pumped. They're ready to go. And I put up, uh, I asked them to put up their hand how many have been to an Argo game before. And it was probably 75% who had. 
So that to me was very good because I'll go in and talk to groups and, and to a large extent, some of them are experiencing the Argos at BMO for the first time. And now it's getting those people to come back. And as long as the games are fun and they have been, um, it's, it's easier to bring them back. No, absolutely. And getting back to the midseason awards. Oh, uh, no, that's okay. This is this is good. This is good stuff. But uh, we, as always, when when you and I get together, there's a lot of stuff to talk about. We often end up on a different topic than the one we started on. Uh, but it's it's all tied together, and it's all Argos football. So uh, Javon Leak wins the most outstanding special teams player. Uh, what a turnaround for the Argos special teams unit for Mickey Donovan. Uh, to uh, last year, they had so much trouble in the return game, and this year, not only to not have trouble, but to have the at the midway point of the season, uh, the most valuable special teams player, uh, as voted by Three Down Nation, in Javon Leak with his three touchdowns. Um, it's it's not just him, and that's the thing. I don't want to take praise away from Javon Leak because he is doing. A job and he's doing it remarkably well special teams is so dependent on blocking in the return game and returners uh, i often get all the credit almost always get all the credit but all of those guys uh whether you know across the board whether it's out of boboye kassar haggerty there's there's so many contributors in these in these units that make one other guy looked good in this case Javon Leak again not to take it away from him he's been outstanding but to me having him as the most outstanding special teams player that really is acknowledging the entire unit not just one person it's a great combination and not only are the blocks there sometimes when they're not he's still making something happen um there were the two big returns last week there was the one that ended up around midfield it was about a 40-yard return and it was along the east sideline. And there was an instance about 10 yards into the run where the old Gale Sayers line was, I need 18 inches of daylight or whatever it was. And that's all he had, and he squeezed through it. And it added another 15, 20, 25 yards to the return. Um, that's that's a gift to be able to do that. And he's got the speed. We know, you know, even back in college when he was at Maryland, he was the Big 12 or Big 10, sorry, returner of the year special teams player of the year. He's always had that. And I don't know how many times I saw him last year um, after a game, uh, you know, either that night or the next week and saying, you need one more, you need one more block. And he was like, he's like going, yeah, I know. And those blocks are being made this year and uh, he's taken advantage of it. And statistically, not only an average per return, he was number one in the league before last week. And he had some big returns. And he's got the three punt return touchdowns. This just in, Javon Leak is the best punt returner in the Canadian Football League, period, full stop. Yeah, and I don't think that can be debated. And so that's that's uh, an amazing development for a team that didn't even really need scoring from their special teams unit because their offensive production has been so great. But uh, yeah, they've, they've really come through. And I couldn't be happier for Coach Donovan uh, in seeing that, that turnaround. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, Ryan Dinwiddie because he was the coach of the year at the midway point for Three Down Nation. Uh, I, I teased this in the last segment. One of my favorite things about Coach Dinwiddie is what he has prioritized in bringing in uh, free agents and what he's prioritized in, in re-signing guys. It's football smarts. There, you got to be able to play as well. But he loves, he's a very intelligent guy to start with. He's got a really good X's and O's brain. He's a great leader. He's looked for players with similar attributes. He's looked for players who are smart football players, who study, who aren't afraid to put in that mental work, and whose um, who's play on the field uh, is definitely complemented by the mental side of things. Because football is so much more a cerebral brain than I think most people are, or a cerebral game than most people are aware of. And... Um, for him to, uh, I guess, show this through the players he's brought in, I think is is really a, a testament to what he's about as a football coach. Um, I try to get, after our broadcast wraps up, I try to get down to the room as quickly as possible. I never hear Dinwiddie's speeches. I'm usually, When I get there, it's usually in time for Mickey Donovan's presentation for the special teams player of the game and the belt, which is great. But Aiden Miller's our social media guy and gets some great video. My, the most eye-opening video that I saw, have seen all year, was whether it be from training camp, games, practices, whatever. It was after I believe the BC game, the second home game, 
and Dinwiddie was addressing the team. And he said something to me that underscored exactly everything that you just said. And he said, this is your, this is your locker room. You guys get it. I don't have to worry about what happens in the locker room anymore. So the culture that he's tried to bring in over the first two and a half years, in Dinwiddie's mind, he's he's successful. Um, is he going to get mad every once in a while? Hell yeah. Every coach is a perfectionist, and every time they see a breakdown, they're going to get upset. But he's brought in, along with Pinball and Vince Magri and Murph and Alex. I mean, these are the guys that have put this team together. And coaches have input as well. Donovan's going to have input. Mace is going to have input. Ivan, all of these, they're all going to have input as to who they want to come in. And they put together a group of not only great players, but guys who get it. And when I saw Dinwiddie say that, that's a big statement for Ryan Dinwiddie to make, a very big statement. And I'm sure everybody in that room heard that sentence and went, wow, he's got faith in us. And you've coached a long time. You don't always have faith in your players. But when they earn your trust, that's gold. And for the Argos this year, very early in the season, they earned the trust of their head coach. And that means a lot to the players. And uh, yeah, his his record speaks for itself. Uh, Dinwiddie since yeah. coming into the league has been like I thought he should have been coach of the year last season, uh, but it you know the, often uh, the voting ends up going about a year behind. Uh, but this this is not uh, and this is not to say that his acknowledgement right now at this point in the season is anything based on what he did last year. He's taken a first year starting quarterback and a team with a target on their back after winning the Grey Cup last year and put together the most impressive run in the league this season at 7-1. So, yeah, definitely uh, hats off to to Coach Dinwiddie for uh, for very much deserving that uh, coach of the midway point uh, honor. Uh, other honorable mentions, uh, Robertson Daniel uh, was the second runner-up for most outstanding defensive player, which I think is huge. Uh, Ryan Hunter, second runner-up for, for most offense, um, uh, most outstanding offensive lineman. And Qantas Stiggers, most outstanding uh, rookie runner-up. Uh, let's talk about Qantas Stiggers just for a moment. We've talked about him a lot on the broadcast, a player that both you and I have, have really loved watching. Um, he was he, he's second runner-up to Dustin Crum, who gets more attention as a starting quarterback, but uh, Qantas Stiggers as uh, a true, true rookie in more of a way than you can usually ever be in the CFL uh, has been a highly valuable piece in the Argos secondary. He's in his NFL draft year, put it that way. He's still a kid who had no college football experience. His only quote-unquote, pro experience was in the fan-controlled football league. And for those who don't know the story, how he got up here, John Murphy got a call one day from a guy who was a coach here in Toronto twice, a guy by the name of John Jenkins. Uh, he was first here in 97, uh, so the second uh, Flutie year. Uh, was it 96 or 97? He was here for one of the Flutie years. And um, as the offensive coordinator, uh Longtime football coach. He was coaching in the fan control football league. He called up Murphy and said, Hey, Murph, I got a guy for you. And it was Quantez Stiggers, who last year played pro football at the age of 20. Figure yeah. that one out. Led the league in interceptions, had three in one game. I mean, he's just that guy. And when you saw him at camp, I think at first everybody just saw him as an interesting story and a name on the roster that nobody could put anything to. And then basically every day he started picking off passes. And it was like, who's this kid? And very quickly earned the trust. Uh, Josh Bell, I interviewed uh, Coach Bell, the defensive backs coach, um, about uh, three or four days probably into training camp. And I, I was doing a story on Stiggers because he was just kind of popping off the page. And he said, I already trust, trust him to play five of the six back end positions. And he's, a week roughly into camp and that's incredible uh not only the physical aspect this guy brings he's got great ball skills he high points the ball almost every time uh but he can bring it physically as well he's a thick body like you you look at him you look at his numbers and he look he he actually looks bigger than uh, you know his height and weight are listed um he's just been a great story and he's only going to get better and 
I know it's already been written about, I think it was Chris O'Leary wrote the story at CFL.ca saying, enjoy Margo fans because this kid's going to be in the NFL soon. Yeah, I, I I think he'll be in the NFL next season. I, I he's he's impressed me since uh, since training camp. Uh, sitting the very first day that I went to watch training camp, I'm still getting used to all the numbers. You got like a hundred guys out there. I'm looking at all these New Jersey numbers, and there's repeated numbers with blue and white jersey offense and defense. And and the number of times I had to look down and be like, who's this? Oh, Quantas Stiggers, right, right. And I did it like six or seven times during that first practice. Uh, and I'm like, okay, this this kid is going to be something. So, yeah, great to watch him play. And we've seen a little bit of that range from him. They've started, um, you know, really trusting him to do some some things that you don't typically ask rookies to do. And so the complexity of what Coach Bell and Coach Mace and Coach Fields, what they, the, the respect that they have for his ability and his intelligence, his ability to comprehend what's going on, uh, I think is massive. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about the bye week, Hoagie. Uh, what players do, what coaches do, you're around the organization. What happens on a bye week? Um, for the most part, guys will shut it down. They'll, they'll obviously continue to stay in shape and, and do their workout regimen. Uh, guys who remain in Toronto, if they need treatment, they'll go in and, and they'll get that done. Uh, a lot of the guys go home, the American, even the Canadians, like guys who aren't from the Toronto area, they get out of town. A lot have families, um, you know, they're stationed somewhere in the United States or Western Canada or somewhere outside Toronto. Uh, their wife may be working. They've got kids at home. They go home and they become husband, daddy for a while uh, or go back and just see friends and family and just kind of check out of the day to day grind. Because it is, even though they've had these 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 bye weeks of plenty so far, it's still a mental grind. So the opportunity to go back and and, and spend some time with their family. And get that done and be, be a normal human being for a while and guarantee they're either up really early in the morning, like Roberts and Daniel, you know, up at 3.30 or 4.30 every morning, having his honey tea and, and watching video. He's probably still in that mindset and in that regimen, but um, still is able to do it you know, with friends and family. So uh, you're able to get more of a normal life. Uh, coaches are still going to coach. They're still looking at, at Calgary, maybe getting a little bit ahead with, with, uh, with Hamilton and Montreal. But uh, for the most part, it's a time to check out uh, for guys in the front office. It's a time to kind of catch up on some old paperwork and, and maybe get a little bit ahead uh, in some of the other projects. But um you know, uh, for some guys, they don't get any time off. Vince Magri's down, you know, touring NFL camps right now. Uh, you know, Alex Russell's still looking at videotape. Pinball Clemens is still in conversation with his coach and, and players every day. So it's uh, it's life goes on, but just at a, at a reduced rate. I always found coaching with bye weeks. I, I would be so excited to get to a bye week because you're exhausted. It's a grind. It's it's just nonstop work. And to get to a bye week, you're like, okay, good. I'll have a game. But that would last about 24 hours. And I'd be like, okay, uh, what can I what can I do now? And one of the big things that you have a chance to do in a bye week is actually uh, self scout yeah. a little bit more than you usually do to go back through your own film and say, okay, well, let me approach this. If I were if I were coaching against my own team here, what do I see? What are my tendencies? What are my I, um, you know, what are the things we have to maybe watch out for as teams start to uh, adapt to us or start to plan for us? And so that was, to me, that was the biggest advantage of a bye week was the self-scouting. You, you do that throughout the year anyway. Every week you self-scout, but yeah. you get more time to actually sit down and do that during a bye. Yeah, maybe maybe players will do that a little bit more as well, look at their own stuff as opposed to just studying the, the man or men they may be up against that week. Uh, just kind of to go back and... and you know, a, a lot of times, you know, guys are tipping off things and maybe not even realize it. Um, I, I know uh, in the 2012 breakup here where the Argos had so much success against John Cornish in the Calgary run game and, and the Calgary offense as a whole, uh, Ricky Foley told me that one of the offensive linemen on Calgary was tipping every play uh, and, and, and obviously didn't realize it. And it was, a, it was the scouting that week that did that. Maybe guys can go back and take a look and say, you know, you're doing this on every run play and doing this on every pass play, and they may not even realize it. So it's a chance to go and clean up some bad habits. 
And it's usually your own teammates that will let you know that first. Sometimes it sometimes it gets that far where it's another team taking advantage of it. But often in practice, you'll have after a practice, you know, one guy really stands out in a practice and he'll go up to an O lineman or a receiver after the play and say, Hey, you know how I knew that was a run every time or whatever it is, it's this is what you're doing. But sometimes it's so subtle that no one's picking it up there. And it's just through it's just through through grinding tape that you notice that that little uh, hint that you're giving the other team uh, that they're taking advantage of. So, yeah, this is this is a really valuable time, obviously, for for coaching, uh, for for coaches, for players. um, And it gives them a chance to get their bodies right a little bit going into this final stretch. Uh, Shaq Richardson, uh, Toronto halfback from last season, has signed in Calgary. Uh, I've always been a big fan of, of Shaq Richardson. I got a lot of questions about him this year because he didn't sign a contract with anyone uh, in the league and now signing with Calgary, a team he's been with before. I think he came into the league with Calgary um, back uh, before their, their Grey Cup run. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he's he's back in the CFL and the Argos next game is against Calgary. So they'll, they'll get to see Shaq uh, if he's in the lineup at that point i think one of the so the question i got a lot about shack was you know why why hasn't he signed anywhere you know what's going on with that i think when you look at the argos and it was a question for me early in the offseason i was like why aren't they bringing back shack richardson but then when you see the plan start taking shape Shaq's position right now is being played by Robertson Daniel, who is right now one of the stars of the CFL on defense. I just talked about him being the second runner up for most outstanding defensive player. And that's at the exact same position. And so you start to see now what the what the plan was. You've got this guy, Robertson Daniel, who hadn't been healthy, who had been um, he just had the worst luck of anybody uh, seemingly getting hurt in the first few snaps in back to back seasons and uh, now getting a chance to see really what his potential was and, and how good a halfback he is. And suddenly um, that non-signing makes a little bit of sense because they're already uh, have a wealth of talent. Um, and it's just as good as Shaq can be at times, uh, it was really not needed in this room because of all the bodies they had and, and the presence of Robertson Daniel. Yeah, and Robertson Daniel, I, you know, I'm, I'm so happy for him this year because when you take the COVID year uh, into account as well, I think he played three games in three years, um, and that's tough. And the talent was always there. I was, I admit, I was a little bit surprised um, first day of camp when they had him lined up inside and Robert Priester lined up on the corner because I thought it was going to work out the other way. The Priester was going to fill in for Richardson and and, and they were going to move uh, Robertson outside. Uh, but Robbie, right from day one, again, you know, we talked about stiggers in camp. Daniel's, Daniel was probably better um, in terms of that guy that every day you were noticing something he would do, whether it be in scale, Skelly or in teams. And and he would, he would just pop off the field at you and go, boy, there's – He's been really good, and it was a new position for him, and he looked at it as, as a challenge. And uh, I did an article on him uh, earlier, uh, probably about three weeks ago. I think it was just after the, the, the three-pick game. And uh, I asked him about the move to Sam, and he said, I expect to be slower at the beginning of the season, like at camp. And i got to get quicker and got to get quicker. And um, as mentioned, uh, I wasn't kidding. He said he gets up at 4.30 every morning, and uh, you know we'll, we'll for a couple of hours watch game film before he reports to camp. So he's ahead of the game and ahead of the curve and knows what they're going to be doing when he gets to the office. Um, he's been great. And, and you know, Richardson was great. No question about that. I had a big pick in the Grey Cup last year. But when you've got Daniel coming back, when you wanted to see what they had in Stiggers, don't forget Maurice Carnell IV. Don't forget Robert Priester. Um, you know, we've forgotten about Carnell because everybody's played so well, but Mo's in there every day at, at, at camp. He's, he's rehabbing. He's getting stronger every day. He's going to be knocking on the door, and he doesn't want to sit on the bench. You know, he's a guy who's going to want to try and find his way into the lineup, and when he did last year, all he did was intercept passes basically every game. So um, they're deep, and unfortunately for the Argos in this instance, there's a salary gap. So some tough decisions have to get made, and, and unfortunately for – for Shaq here, he seems to be one of them. I don't, I don't know everything behind uh, what happened and why he didn't re-sign. I don't know if it was how much was on him. I don't know how much was on the organization. But uh, for whatever reason, he's he's out there, and I'm happy for him that he got a gig uh, back in a system that that he knows. 
and in a city that he knows. And yeah, he's going to be fired up, I think, on uh, on the 25th when they come to town. Tickets available for that game, by the way, at Argonauts.ca. And we can transition into looking at a few of those topics that, that you brought up. I've had a lot of questions about Enoch Mwamba from the start of the season because Enoch was the star of the Grey Cup. We talked about Shaq having a big interception. Enoch had a huge interception, was the uh, w- was the outstanding player of the game, uh, was the most outstanding Canadian of the, the Grey Cup game. Uh, he did it all. And the Argos, with their amazing start this year at 7-1, have done all of this without Enoch Mwamba. And the question I keep getting is, you know, how far is he away with that with that knee injury? You know, when is he coming back? Is there a role for him when he comes back? And the truth is, these are really tough questions to answer because because we don't know exactly what's going on, uh, you know, inside his knee uh, or what the coaches are thinking, what the what the front office is thinking. But we got a few guys. You got Enoch Mwamba. You got Maurice Carnell who's coming back. Darius Bladek, um, who's working his way back. Um, yeah, these are these are tough questions to answer. But fans are are curious because you've got all these great players. Priester, we can we can add as well, who is has been um, uh, you know has looked really good at times in in uh, in preseason. It was supposed to kind of be the starting corner. Uh, you've got all these different uh, guys that are getting healthier. When do we see any of these guys? What do you think is is in their in their futures this season? As we look at guys like Enoch and Bladek and uh, Carnell and Priester. Uh, you know, I, I don't know the health situation for any of those guys. Uh, I, I, the only guy that I ask about his health is Carnell. Uh, and he just, he's, he's, he's kind of got that pinball Clemens personality, right? He's always positive. He says, I am getting stronger. I'm getting closer. And um, I, I haven't asked, honestly, I haven't asked either Enoch or Bladek how, how their recovery is coming along. Uh, I know it's advantageous from a salary cap perspective to six game these guys, uh, just in case. And uh, you can always pull them off the sixth game. Uh, you have to pay the penalty, obviously, and, and go back. But just in case they're extended injuries, uh, you put them on the sixth game with the opportunity to pull them off. So um, with those two, I don't know. But, you know, uh, right now, it's not like they need any of them. Um, team 7-1. and one. And um, if and when they're ready to go, I don't know what they do. Uh, it's an interesting question and a valid question, and I honestly don't know the answer uh, because right now they've got they've got so much depth on this team at basically every position. Um, it's it's a good position to be in that you don't have to rush somebody off the uh, off the injured list. But when when they're ready to go, it does present uh, it does present a pretty interesting dilemma and and a good problem to have for the Argos. And it's also really tough to gauge just watching players doing rehab because guys can look excellent. We've seen this before too, where guys coming back, like Carnell, for example, working really hard uh, on the on the rehab field and trying to get back into to health. We know um, that you know injuries like that take a long time to heal but it you know you you might be able to run in a way where you're like oh that guy looks looks ready to go but there's a big difference between being able to run in a straight line and playing a football game especially at these positions that we're talking about to be able to take on contact to be able to 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 fight somebody off to be able to change direction quickly uh, when you're talking about things like knees uh, you you have to make sure you're 100% ready because if you're not you're going to end up back on the sideline again, uh, re-injuring that uh, that knee or or whatever it was. So that's why I think sometimes it takes longer. Um, and you might, you know, if you're if you're going to practice and you see guys doing rehab work or or trying to get healthy, they might look in in great shape. But it's it's a big difference between that and getting back on the field. It's better to take one more game off than be put back on the sixth game. Let's talk about the quarterback uh, position. We we got a chance to see a little bit about uh, the state of things uh, without Chad Kelly in the game against Calgary. Cameron Duke's getting some extended play, playing for almost three quarters. And I've had a lot of questions about whether or not the Argos might look into getting another quarterback going down the stretch, whether it be signing someone to a practice roster or just bringing in a, another guy to take a look at. In the case of you know what happens if you know knocking on wood um, that it, that it doesn't have a but what if Chad Kelly was to go down or was to be held out for a couple of games due to an injury, 
We haven't seen Brian Scott yet in a game, uh, a non-preseason game. We saw Cameron Dukes for a little bit. Uh, I think at this stage, I feel like the coaching staff has has got faith in these two guys as being able to, to come along. And I think the hope is within the organization that if they can wrap up the East with a couple of weeks to spare, there you would get some valuable playing time for, for Cameron Dukes and for Brian Scott. I don't think, just based on where we are in the season, I don't think bringing in somebody else at this stage is something you're looking at doing. Scott and and Dukes have been here from the word go. They know the system now. They've They've got a familiarity with the plays, with the players. I don't think that there's any answer or any incentive really to bring in somebody else for this season. Not saying you wouldn't bring in another quarterback maybe as a project or someone to look at for for next year, for down the road, but I just can't see a move like that being made now. I think if something like that were going to happen, it would have happened already. And the fact that it hasn't, to me, says the Argos are happy with what they've got in the quarterback room or that there's no one else that they feel is uh, an improvement on what they have in the quarterback room. Yeah, the chance of somebody coming up or coming in and, and displacing one of those guys on the depth chart right now is is the, the odds would be long it that way um that doesn't mean that they're not continually looking for guys to add um there have been some fairly significant names on the negotiation list um i don't know how many are still on the neg list because that can change daily um but vince magri as mentioned alex russell john murphy have all been you know looking at nfl camps and and seeing who's available and i'm sure that there have been some names added you know the the length the the list is lengthy. You have room, and I'm sure they've got guys on there. The other thing that comes into play here is how many American quarterbacks think it's worthwhile to commit to coming up to a Canadian Football League team to be placed on the practice roster where they're not making a hell of a lot of money, as opposed to keeping themselves out there just in case there's an injury in an NFL camp and they they think they've got an opportunity to go in and get on the practice roster there. So. Um, with quarterbacks, it's it's probably a case where you're going to do something in the off season more than you're going to do it in mid season. Uh, but that doesn't mean the Argos aren't continually adding quarterback names to the neg list. It is time for put me down for twenty. And Hoagie, before we get into this segment, I just want to remind everybody that while sports betting can be a fun way to enhance your sports viewing experience, it's important to do so responsibly. Certainly, do not take any of my advice seriously. Especially, don't take any of JB's advice seriously. And he sent me his picks for this week. Uh, only bet an amount that you'd be happy to lose, uh, and of course, look at it as entertainment. And if you or anyone you know develops a problem with gambling, you can always call the Ontario Problem Gambling Helpline 1-888-230-3505. So the state of things as, as we are right now, uh, the uh, the 200 golden fleeces that both JB and I started with uh, at the uh, top of the season, uh, I'm standing at 296 golden fleeces uh, and JB is at 104 golden, no, he's at, sorry, yeah, he's at 104 golden fleeces. Um, and yeah, we'll give you our picks for this week. So we don't have a, an Argos uh, bet to make this week with the Argos on the buy. And so we're budgeting our 20 golden fleeces of the week for other games. So for JB, he is he's he's looking to, uh, to, to make some golden fleeces back in a hurry here. He's got a, a parlay to start with. He's got Hamilton on the money line and under 44 and a half in that game for plus 175. So he's got 10 golden fleeces on that one. And he is taking Ottawa to win by between one and six points for plus 350 on that one. So he is swinging for the fences, uh, having lost almost 100 golden fleeces already. He's looking to make it back in a hurry. We'll see how that works out for JB. Uh, for my picks for the week, uh, I've got 10 Golden Fleeces on Saskatchewan plus 9.5 uh, against the BC Lions. Uh, and that's at, that's actually at even money. Uh, I actually like Saskatchewan to win this game. I know BC has looked outstanding at times. I know Saskatchewan has looked really rough at times. They're coming off a, a pretty tough loss to Montreal. 
I think the Saskatchewan team is a lot better than they've looked most of the year. And I know they've struggled with quarterback play, uh, you know, since losing their starter, that that happens. I think Saskatchewan is going to surprise a lot of people. I, I don't, I'm not quite confident enough to pick them on the money line this week, but plus nine and a half points. I really like that play. And then my other 10 my other 10 Golden Fleeces are on Ottawa's Justin Hardy with under 60, or sorry, under 56 and a half yards receiving. And so those are my, my two plays of this week. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough one with the, with the Argos not playing, but uh, yeah, those I, those I like. And if you really felt inclined, uh, you could, you could uh, take a gamble on Saskatchewan uh, on the money line, which is, is a pretty big payout. Hoagie, I had Edmonton last week as one of my bets. I felt like they were going to upset the Blue Bombers, and they got off to that huge. Was it? I think it was twenty-two nothing start. Yeah. yeah. And and then you Zach should have turned off the TV after the third quarter. You would have been fine. I know. Well, I, it's funny. I actually said to a number of people uh, just through text as soon as Kalaros got injured and and Brown came in, I thought. At that point, I think I think Winnipeg's going to win this game. They had planned for Calaro so well, and I think Chris Jones. He's just some coaches have a quarterback's number, and Chris Jones has Zach Calaro's number. Even though it hasn't always turned into wins, Calaro's is a lot of trouble against him. Even against some of those 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 you know Edmonton teams that haven't been able to beat anybody, they've given Winnipeg problems, and it's largely with with uh, Zach Calaro's. And so as soon as he went out of the game, even though it was twenty two nothing, I was like, you know what, Winnipeg's going to going to come back and win this game uh and yeah they they torched uh, edmonton from that point forward so Isn't again astonishing how many times and the argos have probably seen this more than any where a backup quarterback comes in at some point in the game and just torches the opponent and yeah how many times have we seen that in toronto uh, you know some no name that nobody's ever heard of before that game or never hears from after that game uh, comes in and puts up 350. Like it's just, it happens not only to Toronto, but other teams. And, and I'm not saying that's the case with Drew Brown, who's, who's been around for a little bit now. Uh, but, uh, you know, like you say, teams prepare for one style quarterback. And if they get another one uh, and not, don't know his tendencies, that can be really problematic for a defensive coordinator. And and I do think he is a good quarterback, but yeah. I don't think he's what he looked like last week. It's just so tough when you've prepared for one guy, especially when there's a slightly different skill set between two guys. All right, they're always different tendencies. They're always different ways that guys read plays and plays that guys like versus plays that another quarterback likes. And you've prepared all week, and especially for a guy like Caleros, where you're you're really working hard because you know he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and so everything is so specific specific to shutting him down and suddenly that changes on you and yeah it's it's just like it's like suddenly a whole different game so that's why it happens to teams every season we see it where like you say a guy comes in and looks like a million bucks and then is never heard from again uh but that's why it's about preparation it's time for our CFL picks. Uh, so for this week, uh, again, I've got JB's picks as well as my own. JB went a perfect 4-0 last week. I was 3-1. and And so we are both now 26-13 and on the season. Um, this is just picking straight-up winners. Uh, we've only got one different pick this week. We have two different picks this week? No, we just have one different pick this week. Nope. It's two different picks this week. Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong week. So week 11, here's what we got. So Edmonton at Hamilton. Uh, we both got Hamilton in this game. JB has sworn not to take Edmonton ever again <laughs> until they win because he's been burnt too many times uh, picking the Elks. Uh, I just think Hamilton's the better football team. Uh, I am excited by the changes that Edmonton has made at quarterback. I think Ford is a really interesting guy to watch, a guy that I'm sort of cheering for on a personal level, uh, being a Canadian quarterback. I think it's it's always fun to root for a Canadian in that position. I just think Hamilton all round is a better football team. They're coming off a bye. They're playing at home. For me, that's a, that's a pretty easy pick. I know it's been a popular upset pick people have been making this week. Uh, picking the Elks, but yeah, I've learned my lesson there too. Uh, Winnipeg and Calgary, uh, we've both got Winnipeg. I think this game's going to be tight though. I don't think you're going to see the same Drew Brown that you saw last week. I think Calgary is in full desperation mode. They were embarrassed last week in BC. I expect that team to come out with everything they've got. I think Winnipeg wins that in a, in a nail biter. Uh, from Montreal at Ottawa, uh, I've got Montreal. JB's got Ottawa. Ottawa looked really good last week against Toronto. That might have been their best game of the season. I actually think it was. 
Ottawa's best game of the season last week. Uh, certainly offensively in the variety that they had, it wasn't just Dustin Crum running. Uh, he was actually throwing the ball very well against uh, a tough Argos defense. Um, but I think Montreal still uh, is getting better, more consistent quarterback play. Uh, so I'm going to pick the Alouettes until uh, until they give me a reason not to. And then BC at Saskatchewan. Uh, I, this is my upset pick of the week. I'm not fully confident in it, but enough to take a gamble here. I'm taking Saskatchewan. JB is taking BC. Hoagie, who's who's the? I guess which is the game you're you're most excited about? We got four good matchups, uh, four games that are tough to call. What are you looking forward to watching this weekend? Uh, as always, all of them for different <laughs> reasons. Um, but I'm I'm kind of sick that way. I you know I I was geeked up for the the like you for the Winnipeg Edmonton game uh, week because I I wanted to see Trey Ford because I watched him so much at, at, at Waterloo. Um, so I was interested in that. Um, Edmonton Hamilton is going to be interesting and Argo fans always have a cheering interest for a game that, that Hamilton is in. And obviously with the East West thing, uh, you always cheer for the, the Western team, like Western teams always cheer for the Eastern team when it's a, a, an interdivisional game. Um, Winnipeg, Calgary, like you say, uh, desperate teams, and the Argos ran into one a couple of weeks ago. Um, you 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 can't take that kind of team that's got some talent lightly. And I'm not saying Winnipeg's going to. I'm sure Winnipeg did a lot of self-evaluation after almost losing to Edmonton a week ago. So that's not going to be an easy game for either team. Montreal and Ottawa is going to be really interesting. I, I, I still think people are selling Montreal a little bit short. Um, they were the question mark going into the season in the East, in my opinion, because we didn't know what they had. And and Cody's played phenomenally well. And, you know, the, the, the Mac has just been dynamite for them as a receiver. Their defense has played very well. Uh, their special teams have been really good. Um, they're a really good team, and I want to see how Ottawa bounces back after the loss in Toronto last week. And BC and Saskatchewan, that's, that's going to be a really – I kind of agree. Again, like Calgary, Saskatchewan – is getting pretty desperate, and you already see talk about will there be an Eastern team crossing over to the West this year? And if if Calgary and Saskatchewan, you know, don't pull off the upset every once in a while, it gets interesting really quickly. So um, again, desperate football teams are always fun to watch, and I think this week with Calgary, with Hamilton, with Edmonton. And with Saskatchewan, you got teams that really need some points this week. Yeah, absolutely. It's I, I haven't missed a CFL game. I think going back to 2017, uh, I you know I sometimes have to record them and watch them. Sometimes even weeks later, but I always do catch up. These four are are all going to be exciting. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing some good matchups. And like you say, there's a reason to watch every single game. Hoagie, I want to thank you so much for for joining me today. It's been awesome having you on as as a co-host. So yeah, really appreciate your time. Uh, and thank you. Um, I enjoy you. You guys are great. When I do drive into work, I kind of mix it up between driving and taking the go train. Uh, but the UNJB have been uh, weekly uh, riders with me on the ride to work. So uh, I enjoy what you and all of the other podcasters do. Uh, it helps promote our game. And our next game, by the way, is August 25th. It's the CNE game against Calgary. Uh, again, it's the best deal in the city. It really is. Not only do you get uh, the Argos, which as a standalone is the best deal in the city. You also get the CNE uh, as well. So the opportunity uh, to save, you know, family four almost a hundred bucks with two two parents and two kids. You're saving ninety bucks if you're going to go to both events. So uh, please consider coming down, watching our games live at BMO Field. Uh, it's going to be a fairly big crowd um, on uh, on the 25th. So we hope you're able to join us and uh, hopefully uh, get us closer to an all important East Division regular season title. Well, that will just about do it for us on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. For Mike Hogan, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. Go Toronto Argos, go, go, go. Pull together, fight the foe, foe.